As we've said today, we are kicking off a new series, and the title of my message this morning is The Church I See. Many of you know that I've been in church a long time, um, a little bit of my background. So my parents are both Italian, and they moved to the UK independently of each other, met over here, married, started a family. Myself and my brother were raised here. Um, they didn't class themselves as churchgoers. They would call themselves Catholic because they, that's what Italians are. Um, would go to weddings and funerals and that type of thing, but weren't active in their faith. But a few of my dad's brothers, over time, had started attending a Pentecostal church local to where we lived, and they had become fully-fledged, born-again Christians on fire for God. And inevitably, when people in your family and, and close friends become Christians, you're bound to get those invites, aren't you? You know, why don't you come? Why don't you... Um, come and see what church is about. And one particular weekend, I was six years old, and we were attending the, bro- uh, the wedding of my dad's brother, my uncle, and there were lots of church people there. And one of the ladies there was quite um, straight to the point, straight speaking, made a beeline for my dad and said, hey, you need to come to church. So my dad did what he thought was best, and he sent me to church instead of going himself. Um, The way that the church operated then was that they would have the normal service in the morning like we do, and then in the afternoon they had Sunday school. So he sent his daughter to Sunday school at the age of six. I don't remember much about that service, what the Bible story was. We were actually sitting in rows in the church like this, which was a bit strange really when you think about children in Sunday school. But an appeal was made for salvation, and I just remember thinking... I want that, I need that. I got up off my seat, walked down to the front and made a commitment to Christ that day. I was six years old. I don't really remember what happened after that. Um, In a very short space of time, my parents did start attending church and became Christians themselves. And my aunts and my uncles and my cousins and my grandparents all started attending and became Christians. Now, something that we used to do as Italian families, vouch for me here, guys, we would meet together regularly and just eat and enjoy fellowship together. That's what we did. It was very normal for us. But something very noticeable was that now that the family had become Christians, it was not about just meeting together anymore and having food and discussing what we'd done that day suddenly our faith became a part of those gatherings. And so I can remember my dad would get his guitar out, he knew a few chords, strum a few things together and try and remember one of the choruses that we sang back in the 70s because we didn't call them worship songs then. Um, He was teaching me to play guitar so I would get my guitar out and I would try and strum along and we'd piece together these songs and just worship God. And um, I have a photo for you actually going to embarrass myself now. So that's me, my cousin and my brother just worshipping God in my auntie's flat because that's what we did. We expressed our faith when we gathered. And then this one, just a bit of fun really, just to prove that the angel Gabriel plays the guitar. (laughs) So some of the other things that we did in church, we would have outreach, we would do songs on the street and testimonies and dramas 
Um, we even had mission trips abroad and ministering to people in other languages and uh, people who didn't know God and visiting churches that were already in existence. Um, but one of the key things that happened was that when I was around the age of 11, my family of four and two other couples were instrumental in a church plant. So we were moving on from the church that we'd sort of um, been converted and started attending, and we're now doing something completely new. And from 11, I got to see things that most people don't ever experience in church. They don't see what happens behind the scenes, the work, the effort that it takes to make something happen, especially when it's a brand new church that doesn't exist. And so we would knock on doors, we would talk to people, we would tell them who we were, what we were planning to do, try to get to know them, where are we going to meet? There was a little community centre at the top of the hill, and that was where we were going to have our meetings. And um, Dad was going to be one of the pastors of the church, not the senior leader, but one of the pastors. But he was bivocational, so he had a regular job in the day. He would come home, take that hat off and put pastor's hat on and, you know, would do whatever was required, whether that was ministering to somebody within the church. Uh, Maybe it was, you know, grab your guitar, pal, or we need to learn a new song for Sunday. Or it was, I've got a sermon to prepare. It was a whole variety of different things that, you know, we would have to do. So when I look back at sort of those two churches leading up to my being part of BCC, because I've been here 21 years now, I can see many things that we would maybe class as strong, positive things, successes even, but equally I can see bumps in the road, things that didn't work, and some painful, disappointing times along the way. So in preparing for this sermon today, I wanted to see if I could join the dots between my experiences and find, are there any common things that I can see that we were doing back then and and also that we're doing now that ties up with a model that God gives us in Scripture? So before we get into that New Testament model, I just want to make a few statements about church. Pastor Mark has already said it on the film that we watched earlier, that church is not the building. Sure, you know, we're recognized as a church building to those who maybe don't have faith, but we are a body of believers, people who have a common cause. We have accepted Christ, we have a relationship with him, and we are now family. And the church is something that doesn't belong to us. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church So the church is his, and he has the responsibility to build it also. And within that structure of church, he has put in place, and he has anointed and selected certain individuals, you know, in the past, present, and future to come, that will have responsibility to manage that church, to have authority within that church. So let's have a look at Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read from verse 42 to 47, and I'm reading from the Amplified Version this morning. And they steadfastly persevered, devoting themselves constantly to the instruction and fellowship of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, including the Lord's Supper and prayers. And a sense of awe, reverential fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were performed through the apostles, the special messengers. 
And all who believed, who were dear to and trusted in and relied on Jesus Christ were united and together they had everything in common. They sold their possessions, both their land, property and movable goods, and distributed the price among all, according as any had need. And day after day, they regularly assembled in the temple with united purpose, and in their homes they broke bread, including the Lord's Supper. They they partook of their food with gladness and simplicity and generous hearts, constantly praising God and being in favor and goodwill with all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved from spiritual death. So let's have a look at the characteristics that we see modelled for us here by the early church and what we can learn from that and how we can join the dots with our experiences. So my first characteristic point is discipleship. And it says, they steadfastly persevered, devoted themselves constantly to the instruction. To persevere means to press in, to push into something against all odds. It's not something that is easy to do. If something's easy, we don't talk about having to persevere with it. It requires a lot of effort and strength on our part to do that. And it was something that they were devoted to, and it was a constant action for them. It wasn't just a quick fill on a Sunday. It was a continual, constant action. Because God wants us and expects us to be discipled to learn, to dig deeper, to develop our spiritual beings. Why? Because we are to become more like him. We are to be transformed. And in that transformation, we are then able to be beacons of hope to others. We are able to be instruments that God can work through to bring about change in other people's lives. So how does discipleship happen? Well, back in my first church in the 70s, um, not only did they have Um, Sunday school for the children, they had Sunday school for the adults. Now, I don't think we would call it that today. It wouldn't go down too well. But the whole point was they understood that there was time needed for more in-depth teaching. You see, here on a Sunday, we get lots of different elements that make up the service. And you get almost a, a little taster of all of those things. But to really get into some things and understand God's heart, we need to be a little bit more focused on those. And so they would set aside this afternoon session where the adults could come, learn a little bit more, have some interaction. Can I ask some questions? Because I'm not sure I really understand that. A way of deepening what they knew and were learning. We did have access to cassette tapes you know, sermons on cassette tape. We did have books, but, you know, nothing like we are able to have today. Because of the internet, you know, we can all just grab our phones and start watching a live stream of a service somewhere around the world. And so things have become much more easy for us to access. And so my point to you today in this is that make the most of that access that we have. Because discipleship is something that God requires. And it's important that we are continuing to devote ourselves to this action, to develop what is within us. Um, Use those different methods, find books that really speak to you, engage with people in a personal Bible study, Um, download material, watch sermons online, listen to a podcast as you're driving to work or on the bus. 
The second characteristic is one of fellowship and service. Now, I've put these two together because I think that they are really related. They sort of back onto each other. So they met together. And it said that they they didn't just eat together, but they broke bread together. They did more than just the fellowship. It was the spiritual element, which was what I now remember going back to when my family first became Christians, that we started off as fellowship, but then God began to feature in those meetings. You know, it was in one of those meetings where the Holy Spirit came upon me and out of my mouth gushed tongues. And I got filled with the Holy Spirit that night. Simply because we decided to meet together as a family, have food, and hey, we included God and look what happened in that. So relationship is a key to understanding part of our function as church. God didn't make us for isolation. The fact that we have a living horizontal, sorry, vertical relationship with God is proof that we're not made for isolation. But more than that, we're made for relationship with each other. And as we develop these relationships with each other, that's where I think we start to see the spilling over into service. Because when we have this relationship, and I care deeply about the people in the room, I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to want to step in and help and be a support. But equally, I'm going to want to be on the receiving end of that and know that people are there for me. One of the things that um, we talk about in church is this concept of the body and many parts. And we have a... um, picture if you could put that up for me George thank you this is a deconstructed car so if I was to ask you what other components that make up a car yes we'd rattle off a list but there are so many little things on there that we would never have guessed would have been part of that function now there isn't a single one of those parts that is not necessary they're all essential they all have a part to play and Our function in the body of Christ as church is no different to that. And the problem is that most people go through their Christianity thinking, well, I'm not, you know, one of those people on the stage. I'm not in the worship team that everybody can see. I'm not that big, shiny red shell of the car. I'm one of those little screws at the bottom. So I'm not important. I'm I'm insignificant. But God didn't have any spare parts when he made church. He didn't have any spare parts left over like an Ikea flat pack. And you think, oh, what, you know, what are all those for? Every one of us is designed with intentionality and purpose. The trouble is, we write ourselves off and say, I'm not important because you can't see what that little thing does. So I'm going to abstain and I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to do it. And that's really easy to do in a church of our size. And so today I want you to grasp that it doesn't matter how you feel, how insignificant you may feel, God did not make a mistake when he made you. He didn't make a mistake when he purposed you. And all we've got to do is wake up to the reality that we've got to use that part and be the instrument that he's designed us to be. Church is about family. What's the difference between a home and a hotel? 
hotel. We just come and go. People do things for us. We don't have to take responsibility for anything. With home, we're, we're family. We do things for each other. We, we, we mess things up. We tidy things up. We contribute. We're there for each other. And one of the dangers in church is that we can isolate ourselves. Take a step back and say, you know, I, I don't want to be part of family. I don't like big groups like this. Or a lot of time, not always, but a lot of time I've seen people remove themselves from the church family and function of church family because they have an issue with the authority that God has put within the church. You know, at the beginning I said to you, God has come up with the structure of church. And God has appointed leaders to be head of that church in its function. And even more so in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, he tells us to obey and respect that structure and submit to that authority. And how can we be Christians who are submitted to authority if we remove ourselves from the very thing that enables us to do that? If we remove ourselves from family, if we remove ourselves from this community, how can I be the support and encouragement that I'm supposed to be to you if I do not engage in community and family? And how can you be the support that you need to be to me if you remove yourself from community? So a plus side of the internet was that we have all of this information available to us, which is easy, but the downside is that I think it's made us lazy. Because I can get up in the morning and think, you know what, I'm too tired, I don't want to go to church. So I'm just going to flick my phone on and I'm going to watch a live stream of a a church service that's happening, you know, halfway around the world and I'll just stay in bed today. Now there are times that we can do that, of course, but I think that it has made us lazy in our approach to church family. That it's not about, well, times have moved on. Yes, they have, but God's word doesn't change. And so if God says, be church, be family, be together... It means we be church, family, and be together. Relationship enables that service. It enables us to care for each other. It enables me to encourage somebody. It enables you to be the support that I need at the times that I need it to. Every time you come to a church service like this, there will have been 20, 30, 40 people who will have served you And some of those you will have seen, because they're obvious in the green t-shirts, or they're part of the worship team, but many of those faces you will have never seen, and never seen what they did for you, but they enabled you to participate in something today. Because they've understood it's family. Part of my role is to contribute to family. And so... I want to encourage you to think about church. Every time I say the word church today, think family. What can I do? What is the part that I need to play so that I don't end up treating church like a hotel or treating church like a bit of a drive-through? I'm in a rush. I've got lots of things to do today. I'm going to grab a little bit of a sermon and then off, off I go. What can I do to contribute to the dynamics of the family that God has placed me in? The next characteristic is worship. So we see that the early church met together, they developed relationship together, they ate food together. 
But it specifies that they did more than just eat, they had communion together. What is communion about? We've done that this morning, where we, we remember what God has done for us, the price that he paid for us, his blood that was shed for us, so that we could have this covenant relationship with him, so that we can have salvation and eternal life. Every time we worship, we are engaging with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's not a part of the service that is just an optional extra. It's not something that we just bolt on because we've got time to fill. It's a moment where we say, God, we're putting you in the center of our devotions right now. We can worship individually because we can't meet like this 24-7. And I can worship God on my own at any time I want to. But we see that the church didn't just do it on their own, they did it corporately. What happens when we do things corporately? Today, there will be people in this room who really feel like the weight of the world is on their shoulders. There are times when I felt like that too. And when I'm on my own, in the comfort of my own home, it is a real struggle to raise my hands and say, God, I'm going to worship you today. Why? Because I'm battling this all the time. But when I'm standing here and I'm surrounded by people who are worshipping God, saying, God, we're putting you first. God, we are putting aside everything that we're feeling. Something in me kicks into gear and says, you know what, I can do this too. If they can do this, I can do this too. Don't dismiss this corporate time of worship. It can be easy for us to turn around and say, you know what, it was a fantastic service today. I love the word or I love this part. The worship, mm, not so sure. Didn't really do much for me today. Well, guess what? It's not supposed to do anything for us. The worship is all about pouring out our love and devotion for God. One of the songs we sang this morning, I don't actually like. And I don't like it a lot. And I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Because hopefully you couldn't tell which one it is from my stance down here. Because it wasn't about my personal preference. It wasn't about whether it was fast or slow or loud or quiet. Whether it was an old song. We did a really old song today. Does that mean it's not worship? It's about our attitude before God and saying, God, I'm putting this aside. I'm just worshipping you. I want to encourage you and ask you, please, be here, be present for corporate worship. Don't leave this part out of the service. It's far too important. It's too important to God. If, God was, if you knew that God was going to physically stand here, would you miss this part of the service out? Absolutely not. But guess what? He is standing here. we prioritize this part of the service and not just dismiss it let's be here at nine o'clock and eleven fifteen, and say right i'm ready to go i don't need anybody to you know encourage me i'm ready to go because of who i'm serving of who i'm worshiping the last characteristic that i want to build on is one of outreach so outreach or evangelism mission however you want to term it. 
So people were being saved daily and God was adding them to the church. It wasn't the men that were adding them to the church, it was God adding them to the church. So when I look at how this all happens and the order that this happens, just before Acts 2.42, we see that they were filled with the Spirit. On the back of being filled with the Spirit, they threw themselves into discipleship. It wasn't um, something that they just did and then left. It was a continual thing that they pressed into. They met together. They developed relationship. They had fellowship together. They served each other. Um, It talks about them selling everything that they had to, to meet each other's needs. Just think for a moment what it would take for us to do that. Where I could say, you know what, it doesn't matter what was in my bank account. If you need it, I'm there for you. That can only come from relationship and unity, of course, unity of mind. And so all of these combinations of things, the the discipleship, the fellowship, the worship, the service, it becomes such a powerful thing that is so, so attractive to the lost. And I guarantee you that when we have these all at play in our lives, there will be times where you don't have to utter a word. Somebody sees you, sees the values upon you, sees the way that you conduct yourself and says, I don't know what that is, but I need it. And souls will be added. And there are times when that presence within us, those qualities and values that we demonstrate, are the things that are doing all the prep work in people's hearts, leading to that salvation. Anything that is healthy grows. And part of the model here is about healthy individual growth, which then spills over into healthy corporate church growth. So I look back at some really positive times from early childhood through my teens, and I can see that we were doing things that the early church we're modeling without even realizing it. That our gatherings as family had progressed from just eating and talking to a natural outworking and expression of the faith that was in us because we couldn't contain it. It was just spilling out and became a natural part of what we did. And when I look at those difficult things, the things that were not healthy, the things that caused pain and hurt, I can start to see that whilst we may have set out on a path that was a great idea, we'd worked really hard, that somewhere along the line we had diverted from the truth that we see modelled to us here. An example of this is that not here, but in a previous church, I was um, a very big part of the worship team. Um, And over the years, we had many people join the church who were professional musicians and singers. And they naturally migrated into the worship team. And as you can imagine, the quality of the musicianship, the singing, was incredible. And we certainly reached some peaks. And I can remember meetings where we introduced a new song, at the beginning of the service and three hours later we were still singing the same song because the Holy Spirit just fell and the minister couldn't even get up 
to preach. He just kept going, carry on, just carry on, just carry on. But not long after that, things came crashing down with a big bang. Because what had been allowed to happen was that concentration was all on the excellence of the production. And it was no longer about the worship of God. It didn't start that way, but that's how it ended up. People left the church. People even left God and went away from him. It was that difficult a situation. And the few of us that were left had to pick up the remains and say, I think we know where we went wrong here. And we may not have as much talent as they did, but we're going to put this back to what it should have been. And I'm not saying the church shouldn't be excellent, because I think it should be. But not at the expense of moving away from the very thing it was about in the first place, and the worship of God. So I want to invite the worship team just to come back and join me. I've shared with you some experiences and thoughts about the church that I have seen, the church that I currently see. But I want to ask you, what is the church that you see today? How have you progressed your journey through church? Are there things that I've spoken about today that you've maybe not heard before? Maybe you've been challenged by some of the things that I've said. And in a moment when we take time to worship God, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Is it time to now start carving out discipleship time? You know, we have classes that run here. We have resources available to us that we can study. You can get together with others and do a Bible class. Discipleship comes in so many different shapes and sizes, but has that been a part of church life and family that has been neglected? Because we see that they persevered. They were constant in their devotion to this characteristic I want to invite you to join a small group if you don't already belong to one. It's impossible in a church of our size to get to know everybody really well. And that's why we promote the small groups. Something incredible happens relationally in those groups where I didn't know that I would get filled with the Holy Spirit because of that. What if the same thing happens to you? What if God heals you? What if God meets a need for you because you're part of that small group that suddenly somebody can be a support and assistance to you? Don't isolate yourself and say, oh, big church is is impersonal. That's why we make this available, why we push small groups, because we know this can be difficult for many and so we want to make things more intimate for you and able for you to do that. I want to ask you to serve on a team if you don't already. Because like I said earlier, there are so many people who have served us today and we have no idea. Do we know how many ladies it took to prepare the communion for us this morning? Because it didn't just appear on the tables. How many people cleaned the building? How much time people have put into preparing songs and ministry. 
But this is happening all of the time and we all have a part to play. And I actually want to say to some of you, you serve too much. And the balance is wrong. Because when we serve too much, we get caught up in doing so much church work for God that we neglect our time with God. That if I am serving on every single team, I never get to be part of corporate worship. Or if I'm serving on every single team, I don't have the time or energy to devote myself to discipleship or be part of a small group and develop relationships with people. We need every element and a balance across the board on those things. For us to be the model that Jesus intended us to be, to get over these inhibitions that we have of insignificance because we're not. We're all significant and we all have to play our part. And please, I'm asking you to prioritise worship. We're going to have a moment now to worship God. Don't get caught up in the song and whether you like it. Don't get caught up in whatever you've brought into church today. But just say, God, okay, I'm putting everything aside right now. I'm just worshipping you. That's all I want to do is worship you and be here to engage in the family part of corporate worship each Sunday. Let these characteristics become an attractive combination that brings people to Christ. I want to invite you to stand with me and let's just worship God as we put him in the centre of everything that we are and all that we do.